Hello and welcome to another episode of Two-Faced Fake Snakes, which would make me Professor T. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Dr. Toomey. How are you doing this evening, Toomey? I'm not too bad, Professor T. It is a wonderful May evening. It's in the summer. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) Can I just uh, say that this is... (laughs) Second time we've uh, recorded this, and I wanted to say what I said the first time, but it came out all unnatural. Yeah. Well, uh, last time we had a debate about whether or not May is included as a summer month, and I mentioned that I believe in the Irish calendar that May is included in the summer months, May, June, July, but in the American calendar, it's June, July, August, and various other sort of countries have their own versions. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a hot button issue, you know, is May in the summer, is it not? Um, yeah, and the first time we had that conversation, it seemed natural and kind of worthwhile. But I can't, as you know, repeat things for the second time, because if there's any lack of spontaneity, I can't uh, do it. So that would have been a great conversation starter, maybe for the, the episode, but alas, uh, it wasn't to be. Yes, it's also worth noting that uh, we've been doing this podcast a year now. Uh, because the last, uh, sorry, the first episodes were recorded last May, and people will have noticed when we timestamped the episodes at the start, we were often discussing um, months and months into the past. Uh, we'd be referencing the fact that it was December in an episode that was released in April, etc., etc. So we're going to try and keep it more current from this point onwards. Does that mean we're going to do another podcast or continue? Well, all will be revealed very shortly. Um, but in this episode, yes, we discussed that the narrative had finished. In episode 12 yes we discussed that it was the end of two-faced fake snakes and in many ways the narrative has finished but there's one extra piece that we would like to discuss and we would like to explore and that is the story of stephen bonner aka deep reasoning who we started with in secondary school rapping writing songs recording in the ironing room uh, in south county dublin and uh, we have actually interviewed Stephen Bonner a couple of months ago and the episode is finally going to make it to air and it's well timed as well because he's about to release his second album very shortly and you can look up all of his social media for that it's at Deep Reasoning on Twitter and Deep Reasoning on Facebook um, so yes we have an interview in the can with him and we are going to play that for you in just a minute and it's it's quite interesting I found because his path is in many ways a parallel path to the one we took although he was more successful than we were but he had a lot of the same experiences but a different take on some of those experiences as we did yeah exactly yeah so it's uh it's a documentation of his career and how he got into like his own adventures and how the quality of his music in, in improved a lot over time um and we also went off on some tangents about random stuff like personality and introversion and jobs and uh, so it's an entertaining uh, listen and yeah it is well timed with uh, deep reasonings uh, forthcoming album yes very well timed so it's interesting that you mentioned topics like introversion and jobs and those types of things because um while we were happy enough to almost eulogize uh, two-faced fake snakes on episode 12 and discuss how much the podcast had meant to us and almost speak sadly yet fondly about how much we enjoyed doing it we're, we're, we're pretty much going to continue doing it. Isn't that what we've decided, Dr. <laughs> yes, I think that's what we've decided, Professor T. But we're supposed, I suppose we're meandering down a road with the lineup, uh, the rapping side of things. And I suppose what's uh, a more uh, pressing uh, issue for us is uh, continuing on with the podcast. Uh, so I think that's probably our priority 
uh, in the short term. Would you agree? Yes. So what we've decided is we are going to do a new podcast. So you can take that episodes 1 to 12 was season 1. Episode 13 is a standalone additional episode which is related to season 1 but doesn't fit exactly in with the narrative because it's deep reasoning discussing his own narrative in the space of one episode let's say. But we're going to take a break for about 4 weeks and then we're going to come back with a season 2 of about 12 episodes again and each one of those episodes is going to explore a different element of our identity or our identities so identity is going to be the theme of season two and within that theme we're going to discuss many different facets of what helps to shape your identity um for example things like the jobs you've had uh growing up mistakes you've made social class relationship hobbies emotions change public speaking and other topics as well so we might just kind of mention a couple of those and discuss what types of things we'll be um what types of things we'll be having conversations about in season two so we have both written a piece of um prose i'd say you could you could call it about our first jobs and our experience working in our first jobs we did this many years ago uh, you instigated this why don't you explain to people what the thinking was behind that yes well i'm not going to give away too much now fergal am i because i'm going to save some for the for the series too yes um but <laughs> jobs is about uh, uh our first jobs really is what we were writing about over email uh when i was in southampton and the whole concept is that when you start a new job, you're kind of like a fish out of water. You don't know what you're doing. Um, you're around new people and they might be in a different social class than you are. And uh, that can cause awkwardness, uh, especially if your friend gets on much better with them than you do for no apparent reason. <laughs> and especially if you're you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I'll be touching on that and you'll be touching on your own uh, job story, your first job story. Yes, well, I had a, a quite an interesting first job as well. Um, and there was there's a lot of learning that takes place in a very short period of time when you're in employment for the very first time, when you actually have responsibilities and you have to interact with other humans regularly and come across as a functioning member of the general public and a functioning member of the business and you have to do all that in quick succession and you have to look professional while you're doing it and to a 15 year old this can be uh, quite overwhelming especially when it, it appears that everybody else around you is a complete expert at everything they do and you're an unbelievable novice and in many ways that stays with you well yes. into your 30s <laughs> quite right um, so we're also going to discuss, uh, you touched on it there, social class. So we had a conversation recently um, because we were reflecting back on some episodes of the podcast and we do mention a couple of times that we came from South County Dublin, but you could look at our lives and say they were middle class upbringings. But in other ways, you might look at it and say, well, we both came from working class and our parents were certainly working class. And due to the areas we ended up living, the houses we ended up living in, and the schools maybe we went to or uh, other aspects of our lives, we were almost forced into being middle class by, by circumstance. Yet, it only occurred to maybe, I think you were saying it only occurred to you when you were much older that you had a better upbringing than a lot of people you may have interacted with when you were younger. And it didn't really occur to you that living where you lived or where you grew up was a, a nice area, a, an almost a well-to-do area. And these things only became apparent when you became a good bit older. Yeah, exactly. And I think you had uh, a kind of similar story along those lines. And 
I suppose it's just like, yeah, not knowing that you were a certain class or middle class or whatever, and your parents being working class and um, you not really having that much money growing up, not having fancy cars or anything like that, or like lots of those types of privileges, like foreign holidays or anything like that. But suddenly then when you're 15 or 16, you're catapulted into to some sort of class system that you had no idea about. So uh, that, that was my perspective on it. I know you had your own take yes, on yeah. it as well. Um, okay, and then, so other, other things that we did mention there at the start, so things like emotions, things like change, a lot of these topics which came up um, here and there in the first series of Two Face Fakes Next, but will be taking up a whole episode, maybe even more than one episode in season two. Um, so we, we tend, or we intend, sorry, to explore all of these different facets, different aspects of what helped to shape your identity. And we're going to go deep into each topic once one topic per episode, maybe some topics stretching into a couple of episodes. Um, and that's the general plan for season two. So it's, we're going to keep the name Two-Faced Fake Snakes. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is it's all over Google. So if you Google that term, that brings up our podcast straight away. So it seems like a waste to uh, just ditch that name and have to come up with a different one. And the second one would be we have actually built up some somewhat of a listenership with that first podcast, with its first name, uh, sorry, with the original name. And it just seems like we would be reversing a bit of that work if we were to go and change it now. So we're going to be like one of those bands where none of the original members are left, but we're still trading on that past reputation. And, and, and in fact, that's what we're doing anyway, <laughs> because we said we were retiring and they were coming back straight away. Uh, so we'd we did our retirement tour uh, on episode 12 and now we're coming right back at you with the reunion tour uh, for season two in about four weeks time but you know that's the way shit goes you don't plan it to be like that but then it just ends up being like that anyway that's the way we do it that's the way we do it and uh, yeah looking forward to that and um, we'll probably do some sort of revamp with the way we record and maybe the the images we use on social media and things like that um, we might keep on some of the characters like Sir John O'Groats and Bernie Reeves might get uh, an airing we, we'll see, It's all there's a lot of possibilities in, in front of us and we're looking forward to it and hopefully you can join us yeah, it's all up in the air, but as we said it's going to be a four week break um, this episode should go live on Thursday the 16th of May Thursday evening, and four weeks from then we intend to put up the first episode of two-faced fake snakes season two so we hope you will stick with us during the break and we hope to hear from you or yeah actually we we, we didn't really promote our social media too much but you can look us up on facebook we're two-faced fake snakes on facebook it's at two ff snakes on twitter um, and you can also email us at two faced fake snakes at gmail.com so if you want to get in contact with us during that downtime and maybe make some suggestions of themes you think would fit in with the theme of identity or topics should i say that would fit in with the theme of identity please get in contact and we hope that you continue to listen to us after the break we hope that you enjoy the forthcoming episode with deep reasoning the interview that we recorded a couple of months ago that's coming up next and we just like to say thanks again for listening to us so far um, and we are hoping that you'll stick around with us in the future as well so to me do you have any final words before we go to the deep reasoning interview just to say thanks a lot for your support we really enjoyed episode or series one um, and yeah bring on the deep reasoning excellent okay see you in a bit
Yeah, so this is a bit of a special episode. We're going to discuss um, Deep Reasoning, his involvement with the lineup back in our early days. And we're going to give uh, Stephen a chance to discuss his own career, uh, ups and downs, albums he's recorded, producers he's worked with, and stories from his journey along the way since 2004 until the present day. So a little bit of a different narrative, but it in many ways coincides with our own narrative. That is 100% correct. And could I just set the scene for the dozens or the units of listeners out there that me and Stephen Bonner are in my bedroom at the moment. And we have four screens, five screens, no, four screens here in front of us. Um, and Stephen arrived at my house at about seven o'clock this evening. And I wasn't expecting him. I was finishing off my dinner. There he was. I didn't realise he had my address. Like spy. I gave me your address earlier. Yes. So, as I said, we're going to go back in time. Uh, the year is 2004, or possibly even 2003, although maybe you can shed some light on that, Bonner. But uh, we were all in school together. We didn't really meet uh, you, uh, Stephen, until we were all in fifth year because you had uh, skipped transition year and then you only joined our year because of that. Um, so I wouldn't be certain whether it was fifth or sixth year that I would have spoken to you first. Um, but I do remember me and Toomey recorded some songs on a mini disc, which we discussed in episode one, I think, or maybe two. Um, and they were shown around school and we were playing them for various people and as far as i can gather you were probably one of those people that Toomey played these songs for is that correct or do you have a different memory entirely of what happened that's right i think it was november 2003 i think we'd gone to like a gig or something it was public enemy or messiah jane the expert or something like that and then he'd given me a tape at lunchtime which had four tracks on it and i went to listen to it and i came back in told you what I thought of it and I thought it was really good didn't really know what to expect Renton, I just, I'd only heard that you'd kind of battled wrapped some people on nights out and yeah it just was interesting to see what you guys had done because I hadn't heard much Irish hip hop at that point probably only a handful of people and I didn't really think that you were interested in rap but I knew Toomey liked rap but I didn't know that would have been something of interest. Well, as discussed, Toomey is always more of a fan of rap than I was, but I certainly had some interest in it at that point. Um, you mentioned Messiah Jane, the expert there. I remember shortly afterwards, or around that time, Toomey playing me some Messiah Jane, the expert, on his Discman. I think it was a CD you had, uh, he had obtained from you, uh, which was the first Messiah Jane, the expert album. Uh, what's confusing you? I remember when I listened to that, my, my ears were opened, certainly, to the idea that Irish people could rap. Um, I remember being very impressed at the time, and I know you're also a big fan of Messiah J and The Expert. Yeah, I think there's a big breakthrough album for a lot of people, like in the same way Eminem and 8 Mile opened the doors for, say, white rappers universally, then that album opened doors for rappers in Ireland to go, okay, here's a reference point, and it was quite a good reference point. It was quite a solid album, great lyrics. It was a bit alternative, a bit edgy, but... Uh, in hindsight, that's still a very good album. I think a lot of people can take Yeah, it's album. excellent. Um, um, so around that time as well, we decided we were going to, after we did our mini disc, uh, we did our four songs, we recorded that on a tape. We decided we were going to record maybe an album, uh, in inverted commas, or uh, a number of songs, a larger number of songs uh, in some sort of a collection. And my memory is vague about how we ended up 
collaborating with you, but I reckon it was Toomey who probably extended the olive branch at, at first. Would that be right, Toomey? Uh, I think so. Probably. I can't remember, but <laughs> probably. <laughs> well, yes, actually, yes. It was me who, who extended the olive branch. Uh, no, it probably was me because I had the equipment in my house and I would often talk to Stephen about our shared interest in hip-hop music. Um, yeah. So Were you in... Yeah. Were you in religion class or English class together or something? A class that I wouldn't have been in. Um, I was in your English class and I was in, we're both, or sorry, the all three of us were in the same French class. Was that maybe it? Okay. maths or something. I think yeah. it was one of those classes anyway. I remember, I think, Toomey had said, do you want to write something? Or actually, it could have been yourself. And I wrote a verse and I remember you're like, okay, let us read it we won't let anyone else read it i think like yeah. i was very painfully shy back then like yeah and i think you read it and you were like okay and then i yeah, think I remember that's being what surprised I, I thought you had been rapping before that that's that was my impression at yeah the time that you had when i was too. so i was about 17 at the time and i think when i was 16 i was really getting into hip-hop but i was kind of like tupac Nas, eminem jay-z all those kind of people and kind of wanted to do it but didn't really know how to go about it and it seemed when you guys had just started some sort of extra energy came and I was just magically able to put a structure on whatever I wanted to say so it was kind of cool and I always yeah. credit you guys with that as a reference point that had I not kind of crossed paths with you maybe I could still be emceeing but maybe it wouldn't have been for a few years later. Yeah, it was interesting though. You seemed to know how to write, um, like sixteen bar verses and and rap lyrics. Like it wasn't something that seemed completely, like new to you. Yeah, just happened that night. I remember it like I was like, okay, how am I going to structure this? And I was just literally, A B C in it, like just really simple, like da da da. Yeah, and then nice. I just kind of sped it up a bit, and I had a bit of flow to it. I actually remember the, the the very first verse. I have like the first four lines of you. Oh, right, well, go go for it. So it's like yes, it's quite angsty, a bit like Dar Palmer the other night. We Shout like out to Dar Palmer. <laughs> um, what match that amount of angst? So I think it was something like fuck Bush because he's a disgrace. I'd suffocate that bitch with my fucking pillowcase that I never knew use, but I never give him nothing. I'm trying to change things from nothing to something. Nice. Very basic, but a bit. I actually remember angsty. the pillowcase line. That was. I know. I used to sleep without a pillow, and now I couldn't imagine doing such a thing. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I also yeah, remember the pillowcase. Uh, something about choking somebody with a pillowcase. Kind of <laughs> was it smother or choke? Choking with uh, a pillowcase. Suffocate. Suffocate. So you put the head inside. You take out the pillow, and you put put the pillowcase over the over his the, head. Yeah. Over his head. Yeah, I'm not really that type of person. <laughs> well, it's kind of crazy, uh, kind of teenage thing. And I, it was kind of just a lyric. It wasn't really something I probably would have said about, oh, I hate George Bush or anything like that. But it yeah. just, I don't know, it, <clears throat> I didn't really know what to write about. And it just kind of... Just flowed. I, 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 that's another thing, like even like topics and how right, this song is about this. It was just general gibberish, like, but found a structure and... Interestingly, um, hip with hip hop, a freestyle is actually a written verse, and it's just got kind of the message of being lost through time. That a, a, you know, it's a verse free of style, whereas off the dome is actually 
just thinking of something on the spot and a lot of people don't know that and it's kind of just become one of those so, things so you mean like freestyle is it refers to the form the style of writing yeah i think it's big daddy kane i was watching something and he broke that down like i daddy's wrong about it but i remember hearing it and it makes more sense because people are like this is a freestyle yeah. rhyme so like for example they're freestyle tapes like say eminem and big l but they're actually you can tell they're written verses like they're just way too good not to be yeah. But then, of course, both of them could freestyle. But, uh, yeah, it's one of those things, oh, you're not freestyling. Oh, well, this verse is about nothing, just how deadly yeah. I am or vicious I, I am on the mic. I'm yeah, oh, I could really relate to that because I would, like, just listen to the beat first. Mm. And then I would write the first couple of lines that would come into my head and mm. then just sort of build from that. I'd, I'd most of the time have no idea what I was going to write about. And it was like the beat kind of inspired me to write. Like, I would yeah. never write without listening to the beat first and like getting into the beat um, definitely it's very hard to write without a beat i remember at the start you're like shit what the hell am i gonna say but there's something about the beat it can kind of add a bit of magic to it and i know later down the line like i'll know right this beat is good enough or it gets that emotion or that theme or tone i want to convey and if it doesn't it just won't be using it quite right now uh, <laughs> just to quote uh, sir john O'Groats, um so um Okay, moving on from that. Okay, yeah, some nice discussion there about uh, approaches to songwriting. But what we uh, did when we shared lyrics and where we shared ideas was we actually collaborated on three songs back around 2004. Um, and those featured on Cameras Action Doom, which was the first CD that me and Toomey put together with um, other, using other people's beats. Um, and those three songs were called Ripping the Mic, Pure, and Real Hip Hop from the Soul. Um do you have any memories of recording those songs, the recording sessions, or anything like that, Bonner? Anything that stands yeah, out? Yeah, like, I suppose, didn't really know anything about, say, being in a studio, and, and so even looking back, like, how we did it all in one take, like, all three of us had to kill it in one go. And, Passing the microphone. Yeah, but it was kind of cool, because, like, right, you fucked it up, you prick, and then someone <laughs> drink a can of Dutch gold or whatever the hell. I think we had a few cans to kind of build up too. the courage, like... But, what did we uh, say that? Did we say that to you? I, yeah, like, I think that did happen. Like, it was kind of, for fuck's sake. I think it was you, trying actually. <laughs> I think the third verse of Make It Happen or something. Like, I was just watching you and you were re-recording it or something. And you're like, for fuck's sake. Like, you were getting irritated. I, I, if I can remember correctly now. Something like that happened. Etched in your memory. I don't know if there was anyone else there. I know you referenced. Irritated at, at you? No, it's yourself. Like, oh, okay. Oh, I thought you were saying... You no, were no, no. You as well. <laughs> no, no, no. I thought you were, you were telling a memory about Trader telling you, like, criticising uh, you harshly. Oh, no, no. No, no we, were just, we were just kind of taking the bit. No, it's, it's only us to me that, that carry around that hate and... Uh, resentment for 15 years not anybody else <laughs> i actually i wanted to ask you you did an interview with the uh, bayview sounds or that's the name of the blog anyway um a bloke called dave mcmahon um, and you mentioned you worked with the producer david howard when you were in first year in college um, and he helped you a lot with your vocal delivery and your general uh, rapping style would that be correct to say yeah so he went to pulse recording studio and he was getting big into producing and mixing and was like kind of like a Kanye West character who's really excitable by it and trying to be the best producer in Ireland instantly and really put all his spare time into it. And to be fair, he was a very good producer, particularly at that time when there weren't many producers in Ireland. He really had, you know, he had all the equipment and he was 
you know, he's really enthusiastic. And I used to, um, from say 16, 17, used to kind of drink up Kalini Hill with a few cans and uh, we kind of cross paths through a friend of a friend. And it's like, oh, Steve, you should do a few tracks with him. And then it took a bit of a while to happen for whatever reason. But uh, yeah, we kind of put something together within two months then. It was pretty cool, a, a 10 track album which was a little rough around the edges, but still a bit of raw ability in that, I think. That's the quintessential LP. That's right, yeah. Um, you mentioned that uh, you used to be up around Kalini Hill. To me, I remember um, meeting David Howard up around Kalini Hill one time. Do you remember this? And he was wearing a Wu-Tang Clan hoodie. Oh, yeah, I remember that hoodie. <laughs> Very vague recollection. I didn't know that he's met him before. No? So some sort of confrontation. Yeah. So you asked him to name 10 Wu-Tang Clan songs because mm. he was wearing a Wu-Tang Clan hoodie. And I think he could only name five or six. Because <laughs> he was under so much pressure. And uh, you, ri- you ridiculed him at length. <laughs> oh, no. That was the type of thing I used to do back then. Um, test people on their knowledge of the Wu-Tang Clan. Well, to be fair, he kind of listened to kind of Eminem, 50 Cent, people like that. And he wouldn't really care about things like that i remember i played a milmatic one time he goes oh the i am album is better and i was like what are you talking about <laughs> yeah Illmatic is a classic uh, yeah so that he kind of liked the big hits and he was kind of as well in hindsight he kind of tried to make me to make not pop songs but kind of like very commercial sounding tracks <laughs> so couldn't really be considered selling out it was kind of just he he really kind of like, I had my own ideas for songs, but he always like, well, why don't we do this or do that? So I had to kind of go along with that as well. But that was good. It got me to get out of my comfort zone and try kind of more pop-like songs. And we some of them were very songs. good. Like, they were very Jeez, catchy, yeah. good choruses. Yeah. And he yeah. should get a lot of credit for that because I didn't really have that in my locker at the time. And he kind of would bring that out and go, look, you need to rap about this. Like he did songs about, like, being in the club and all this kind of nonsense. But, like, still kind of tracks that are kind of good to listen to, but I wouldn't really like them now because prefer something with a bit of substance as you get older. But, yeah, so David Howard went to DCFE in Dunleary and they have a compilation CD they release every year. Well, they did at the time, and at least. And because he went there, uh, he got to issue the track and they placed it on it. I actually went into Tower Records could see it there, picked it up, bought it. You know, that was kind of cool. So a physical copy of, of one of your songs was on an album in Terror Records. Excellent. That's uh, That must have felt amazing in, in such a short time. Yeah, and I'd always had a kind of small dream, so to speak, of uh, playing in Terror Records. I remember they used to do these little launches and you'd go in and live music would be playing. And uh, they're now on a different street. They're, they're on Dawson Street now. And... Um, I don't know if they still do that kind of thing. It's a bit kind of closed off now. I'm not really sure what their plan is, if they'll still even be there in the next year or two. But I remember thinking that was kind of organic and kind of cool. Like, you could just be in the shop and then hear the music and then buy it. Always kind of like that.
so welcome back. You mentioned earlier, uh, Bonner, about you found that people sometimes reacted with a bit of jealousy when they realized that you were involved with music or when you became involved with music. Um, do you want to elaborate on that in any way? Because me and Toomey have found people react quite strangely as well sometimes uh, to the fact that we have recorded and released, not released, but recorded songs, that we have songs that we... Yeah, I think there's a natural kind of begrudgery in Irish society, which a lot of people speak about from time to time. And it just, they won't really even say it to your face. It's kind of just a sly little comment here and there. And But I'd say if he spoke to, say, 20 people he didn't know on a night out, say, at a party and told 20 people, and you can see the few that feel uncomfortable with it. And it's really they're uncomfortable with themselves. So like, there's there's always things like that, and I think a lot of people. I said I was talking to someone the other day. It's like if you leave Ireland, you actually get more respect for what you do. Like say the lineups music, deep reasonings music. You know, people don't view you through that lens. And particularly when I was in the states, like a lot of people were just like, "That's really cool," and we're really into that. Yeah, we should probably mention that actually. You went to Boston for a while. Yeah, so in 2008, I went to Boston and it was just a holiday with uh, two of my friends. And I just got in contact through a friend of a friend with this guy, Shaman, who lives in Boston. He's an MC and he's very passionate about Ireland and Irish hip hop and has heritage here. And that was really cool. Like, I just met up with him one day, he just picked me up in his car randomly, uh, went off, got some food. And then went to a studio. I met these guys, about 20 guys in the studio. And then went to another studio. And I'm still in contact with all those people today as well. And I've collaborated with them. And interestingly, the second studio, the guy was a bit older than I thought he was. And he was telling me how he knew Jay-Z and he'd met all these people. And he actually is in the film The Fighter. He's the first boxer that Mark Wahlberg knocks out in the film mm-hmm. so I did a track with him and Shaman and I remember all the people that the guys that were in the room the time like I can't wait to hear this guy rap because his accent is so crazy like this kind of quiet Irish accent and then there we are and we just recorded something yeah and <clears throat> and you were saying there about uh, respect like um like in Ireland, it's kind of well, we've always found it's kind of like um, a novelty act. You're not really, you're not really seen a, as a musician for doing rap, um, and and especially because there's a bit of humor in in Irish culture, and there's a bit of humor in the music that that you try to write or or release or whatever. So so what was the difference in respect um, over there when you were just like over recording? Like what would people say to you, or how was it different over there? I just think the American attitude, they're entrepreneurial. They just do things. They're not concerned about you. They're concerned about themselves. They're still friendly people and everything. And I'm sure, like, we've all met American people all the time. We're always in Ireland and universally. But, you know, they have that nature where they're, they're driven and the kind of American dream and they collaborate to get things done. I wonder, is it more of a, in an American culture, is it... Um, more accepted to put yourself out there and try something big Whereas time yeah you've had that. that yeah and like the, it, it wasn't an issue like oh who do you think you are doing this they were excited by it they were like wow this is really cool yeah 
and like I think I went to a karaoke bar in New York once and I just belting out like kind of window shopper and all sorts of songs that was just random like and people were really into it and I was like obviously those weren't my songs but like people were like okay he's kind of good he can kind of he's a little drunk but he's messing up here and there but yeah you know it was supportful it wasn't like oh who's this white guy from Ireland who does he think he is I think it's like it's interesting because there's pros and cons in that because I think in America everybody's chasing the American dream so everyone thinks they're going to be that millionaire with the the jet plane and everything yeah whereas maybe in Ireland it's it's like the other extreme whereas like anybody who who tries to to do something a bit different there there's a part of our culture that says ah oh, that person's a bit of a prick they've notions yeah like Bono yeah they've the notions like... above their station and how, how have you found like if you're in the workplace because I've often struggled this with myself that yeah I found that if people hear hear that you're a rapper yeah even that phrase sounds strange I try to use MC because it sounds like you're a bit more but they're like oh you're a rapper I heard yeah but they automatically have a negative connotation in their head it seems did you ever find that in the workplace or or different I remember being at someone's house once and I knew the guy pretty well and he there's some other guy there and he goes oh you're a rapper I remember thinking did he actually just say that like the way he said it it was just outrageous it's like you don't know anything about me you've never even heard the music i'm not yeah. like bragging in your face about it or giving you a reason to be what's the word i don't know critical, critical of it or yeah. it's straight off the bat it's like oh you're a rapper Just and yeah i definitely got that a lot particularly in the workplace dismissive almost and, um, for no reason yeah people just just like who do you think you are like because there's a shadow of a, a slimmer of oh, maybe they could do something that they love doing and I'm afraid to do that. Yeah, maybe. Like, And sometimes it's not even what they say, it's the way they look at you. It's like, oh, you're a rapper, are you? Like, yeah. Actually, I, I demonstrated saying there, which doesn't make sense, but I should have described the way they look at you. Yeah. Because I said the way they look at you and then I gave an example of them saying something. <laughs> so we're we're limited without video here, so you did your best. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think you could get the facial expression by me saying that. Oh, you're a rapper. If you can yeah. imagine the facial expression to go with that without me describing it. I think people... That think people... Yeah, yeah. That. Oh, right. you're a rapper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But something else I actually wanted to talk about as well is kind of personality and introversion, which is something you spoke about in the earlier episodes. So I've always found, because I'm such a quiet person, people are looking at me like, you know, like I've ten heads kind of thing when they hear that I MC and I write music because I don't go around telling them and then when they find out they're like oh it's probably shit I know they think that instantly because if you're kind of quiet and reserved it's like well they expect a kind of clown or some sort of outlandish character and that can be a struggle sometimes because they, they might see you day to day and go yeah but mm. no not really but then if they see you on stage like, oh, it's like a disparity for them and yeah. they just don't know what to do with it and uh, it's kind of like it forces you to have something to say and kind of prove them wrong sometimes as well. Yeah, I suppose. And the, the contrast maybe is that like you're an introvert in your day to day, but then on stage, you can't really be an introvert. You're like you're outlandish and yeah, loud and dominant. That's what you're supposed to do on stage. Yeah. And have you guys found that in your own like you've described yourselves as being introverted and have you found people kind of wouldn't look at you with the same interest like for example there's some people like 
that won't bother with you if you're introverted. Well, uh, they won't really care what you have to say. So sometimes it acts as a a bridge to oh, there's more to this person. And yeah. I don't know. That's maybe my own self consciousness. But I've definitely found some people that would would have dismissed you firsthand and then gone oh, there's more to this guy or it peaks it through interest in you um yes i think we we discussed that on previous episodes but we have said that uh we kind of used it sometimes as a shortcut to popularity <laughs> <laughs> which is double double-edged sword because then once you once you play the rap card and you get the popularity people expect you to be that person on stage but that's time. not who you are so once you go rappers back play. off stage rappers play <laughs> yeah no i totally relate to that do rap and you're pissed and you're like yeah for me, it's like if somebody asked me to do a rap in the context that's not on stage, if it's in work and they found out about it for the first time and I'm being my kind of quieter, normal self, which is more reflective of who I am on a day-to-day basis. If someone asked me to rap in that context, there's no way I would want to rap. I would just, I would feel really uncomfortable. I'd feel embarrassed and I'd probably do a shit rap. And I'm for me anyway, I'm just more comfortable of keeping it sort of separate yeah, I totally relate to that. But sometimes it's put on you as if, like, right, well, if you don't perform it now, then you're probably not confident or good enough. Yeah. Kind of, they play a trick on you. They say, do a rap. Yeah. I usually just say, oh, I'll do it later. And sometimes later never comes and they get too drunk. But I've <laughs> often done it on nights out and uh, I don't mind doing it because it proves them wrong. And they're kind of shake your hand. They're like, okay. <clears throat> yeah. And on nights out, there's a, they want you to entertain them and they're supportive in one way. But at the same time they're challenging you so oh yeah big time they're yeah. they could if it goes a certain way they would ridicule you and they're they're putting it on you they're putting you up to either sink or swim definitely and, and, and they're nice. happy enough if you sink and it's nice to swim <laughs> it's better to swim it's, it's nice to, to swim. swim and have them fucking dazed yeah. yeah I've often sank now and that's yeah that's a terrible experience, especially if you're too drunk to remember the lyrics. I, mean, I usually pass it off like, look, you know, I told you I didn't want to do this, I'll do it another time, like, you know. Yeah. I wouldn't really mind about it, because you, if you've the music to back it up, like, look, just check out the bloody Spotify or whatever, don't be annoying yeah, me. Like, that's a good way. But yeah, I totally relate to that Rapper's Plight song, like, uh, just kind of fucking fuck off. <laughs> I think they're, they're uh, the mix of emotion, they're, they're interested, they're dismayed, they're curious, they're dismissive. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a range of things. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like it's a cocktail of emotions. It's like uh, jealousy, um, <laughs> <laughs> shame, impressed, impressedness, disgust, shame, <laughs> yeah, yeah. joy, <laughs> support. <laughs> but I think as well, a lot of people kind of live an ordinary life for the most part, and they love to do something. Could be mm. like a director or a comedian or anything. And they're afraid to do it. And if you do it, like I don't really give a shit if I become, say, a famous, well-known artist because I just love writing songs, yeah. and it doesn't really matter if they come out or not. I, I yeah, you know, that's how I see it. Like I could completely agree with that, and that's like what me and Trainer have been moving towards in in our music as well is the joy of doing it. And I think yeah, just on the previous point you made, um, I've seen lots of people in my life who have said they have some sort of dream it could it could be like a career change or it could be trying a, um something creative that's that's new that sort of puts themselves out there but they they sort of never do it um so 
I think they maybe f- sometimes feel they've missed out. And then when they see you doing this kind of... This is me assuming all of this. This is all in my head. No, but I, I'm assuming that, that, that when they uh, see you doing all this mad stuff in wigs on stage and doing like recording three albums in your case and having songs on Spotify, mm-hmm. they're like, what? How? they're not having that. I just would say to anyone, here I am giving advice on this now, but like, yeah. if there is anything You're a that you... <laughs> Give, prescribe that advice. <laughs> if there is anything that you've been putting off that you feel is something you'd like to try, even if it's playing the piano or something, like, and you just keep putting it off or changing your career to do something that you know deep down that you would love, just do it because you'll enjoy so much the process of doing it that the success and the outcome of that is not even important anymore. So we oh. we have such a good time with the gigs we do the songs we record that we none of us were like commercially successful but we've just enjoyed every step along the way. Would you agree? And just on that as well, like the performing, like was something I'd always neglected for, you know, the personality reasons. I felt uncomfortable doing it, and I was like, why would you put yourself through that if you felt like I wanted to rap, but then I didn't want people just staring at me in the way that they do, and yeah. you just get to find a way around it and particularly my music because it's quite serious most of the time people are kind of staring at you and you don't know if they're interested or bored to death yeah and uh, you know if another show you'd have your hands in the air and all that kind of thing but i've learned that people are kind of intently listening and i suppose that's a good thing but it, it's quite different for them because some people want to just get drunk and they don't really give a shit about philosophical musings or anything of that nature but it, it's a completely different ball game than recording like and just getting up there and you f- feel such a rush like coming back to the gig the other night i was so tired from work and yet i managed to re-energize myself and mid-set it just you know i just got really into it and just didn't care like i could see as i got more into it everyone else went with it whereas they were kind of sitting there not sure something you want to do just do it i think that's what one of your songs is really about on the student of the game what do you want to be um and is that the song actually where you go through with the list of occupations and at the end you say or a full-time player hater yeah <laughs> I, I, re- I really like that line because we were just talking about that because some people actually are they're just they'll just be negative in any context and i, I think that's what you mean by a full-time player hater 
Yeah, and like it doesn't really matter what you do because so say if you're an accountant or you're fucking barman, like everyone has a dream, you're daydreaming about doing something more exciting, if we're being honest. Nobody's exciting about accounting really, are they? Yeah, like, well, probably not. But you need that balance. It, like you say, I, I've often said to people, like, oh, what they... Another way of testing you, like you were saying earlier, people try to test you. Some people go further and go, oh, why don't you quit the job? You should be on the stage. And you should be doing this. And it's a bit of an underhand kind of, oh, yeah. you know, they're trying to mm. throw you over the edge. And it's and I always say I like the balance of my my job and that I don't need to quit my job to write songs because I write them at night I, usually and I can do gigs at night. I could be doing gigs on the street. I think when people ask questions yeah. like that, maybe they're, they're thinking of the, the outcome of it which is success or mm. superstardom and they're forgetting that like the enjoyment is just doing it in the first place yeah. yeah and a lot of people think you're trying to be m&m and stuff at the start do you guys feel that as well like people are like oh so when is you when are you going to try and get signed and i got a lot of that like it's like no i'm just jesus making music and i'm short-sighted or where's your medallion and all this kind of yeah. you're like jesus have I'm, your own mind and critically think i just have a side rant about this if i if i may go for it, <laughs> Can't wait, i've been dropping in this this theme about people focusing on the outcome I've, that's the second time i mentioned it <laughs> and i'm going to relate it to uh jogging um do you ever find when i was recently in a whatsapp group where people the, the whole point of it was to run the 5k, the park run 5k. And people were messaging in a WhatsApp group all of their times. I was out Tuesday night and I did, I did the t- this is my time of 24 minutes. And then the next person would say, well, I came in with 23 minutes. And I was like, this like, completely wrecked my head because I've been jogging for quite a while. And I don't, I purposely don't time myself. I don't care about the 5k race. I don't care about beating for or beating 14 like randomers because yeah. i don't really care about any of that i'm just there to enjoy the exercise it's good for my health it allows me to think um it's a release it keeps me fit keeps me healthy but that none of that is to do with how, how much time oh oh i've done it in, in 22 minutes and 30 seconds oh ho, ho. Could, could you do that could to me beat that oh, i don't know if you could beat that it's like i don't give a shit i don't give a shit about any of that i'm a 33 year old man I'm not going to be fucking marathon king. But yeah, you're you're spot on. But like, you don't always have to be chasing a goal because the journey itself can be the enjoyment. There doesn't have to be some big golden chalice at, or championship at the end of it. Yeah, same for yeah. art as well. Like people that draw and there for hours, and they just they have something to show for it, and probably no one else gets to see it. Maybe a friend or two. Yeah, and still get the enjoyment. It's like, oh, you should be commercialising this and getting this done, and maybe they don't want to do that. But it's like a football team trying to, to win the championship, let's say. So that's the outcome. Focus. Because I, I went through this myself playing Gaelic football when I was growing up. It was all about killing the cut. Oh, shit. It was all about <laughs> the team I, I was on. Dude, that's not controversial, actually. It was all about the team I was on winning the match and winning the championship and winning the league and training to win. Everything was about that. There was... And that, for me personally, took away all of the enjoyment of it because every match that I went out to play, I just had all this pressure on me. I was so nervous before every match, um, and I, I was only happy. I was only enjoying it if we won and we played well. And I was, I ended up being really kind of harsh on myself. So I, like, I remember I was just thinking in my head, I've never had an, an over eight out of ten performance in my whole career playing sport that's that's how I looked at it I was like I'm always 
less than 7 out of 10. I was never good enough because I was focusing on being right. the best and outcome and success and all that, which is, I think, the, the enjoyment is actually playing it and, and enjoying the skills. And just, just one more quick example of focusing on the Sorry. Get it off is the chest. Sorry. Get them all out, Timmy. It, <laughs> like, if you think of people's, it, it, your choice of career, your choice of job, People are like, how much money are you earning? Mm. What's your salary? Well, when's when's your chance out, yeah. of promotion? And they actually discount how you feel on a day-to-day basis in your job, which has a much bigger impact on your mental health than the actual outcome of the work, which is the salary. Big time, yeah. Well, I don't know how you'd measure that, but... <laughs> yeah, let's do a test. Um, I can definitely relate to that, all right, yeah. It's the one thing that people want to know. And even if they don't ask, it's on their mind. It's like, how much money, but yeah, but how much money are you earning? That's what a lot of people are thinking, really. Uh, yeah. About people's and I jobs. used to hate, and I really hate that phrase, how much is he worth? Mm. Mm. Or he, yeah. He's worth 70K or whatever he was. Like, yeah. He's, he's worth, worth nothing. 2 million. He's mm. worth he's, nothing inside. He's unemployed, <laughs> so he's worth nothing. But yeah, it ties into this is drilled into you success and have to win matches and win titles and make money. So even though it's like people forget about that, even though deep down, if they reflect on it, they know that it's not right. But because it's drilled into your subconscious on a daily basis, you just get caught by it. I think everyone gets caught by it, even though they're wise enough to know, well, it's not about the money. They'll still go, oh, and get an extra X amount somewhere else. So I'll go. And then they go. And then then they they have a shit shit time. I've experienced that personally, yeah. Like, you're just not happy sometimes when you think you will be yeah. just because the money is better, people can be better in another place. Yeah. And then you're happy then. You drop the money's kind of secondary then. Yeah. I'm glad we went off on this. Yeah, so am I. <laughs> really didn't help to discuss that. <laughs> Back good. to the career of Deep Breeze Dig. Yes, Deep Breeze Dig. The I, album. There's one question I do want to ask you. Um, I was having a look at your SoundCloud play, page there earlier on. And I noticed one of your songs has 133,000 plays. Wow. How did, it? how did that happen? And what, uh, I didn't even know that, man. Why that song <laughs> over all others? <laughs> so what song is it? Do You here, Know. I've got to get it up here. Yeah, pull it I've up. I've got to get this up here online. So, I've got... so the song Do You Know has 133,000 plays, and then what other songs have like 100 or so, 400. So, I'm Googling this now. So That's insane. insane. I, didn't, yeah. I didn't knew that. Uh, like another other one of them have like a thousand two hundred, four hundred fifty, seven hundred. Oh yeah, that was a kind of standard. But like for a couple of years, one hundred thirty-three thousand. <laughs> were you aware of this? You weren't obviously no. Sorry, what did you say there? Were you aware? You weren't aware that one of your songs had that many listeners. No, okay, no, I haven't well, used SoundCloud in a while. I'm putting it up here now. He's on the computer. It now, it's a deep reasoning. Your yeah, SoundCloud yeah, 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 yeah. Deep reasoning uh, SoundCloud. One hundred thirty-three k for that song. All in three years. Ago. Which which song? It's a it top be one there. A bit maybe is it? Destiny. No, Destiny. do you know? Do you know? know? We're trying to find it here. What the fuck? No. What's going on here? There it is there. Yeah. Yeah. 133,000 plays and you weren't aware of this. No. I had no idea. (laughs) You're definitely not focusing on the outcome there. Yeah. Yeah, fuck the outcome. (laughs) (laughs) That's insane. And two comments. Two comments on 133,000. Did somebody uh, buy me some views or listen to something? That's insane. Yeah. I had no idea. I had no idea of that. What's this one above it? Lexer. Oh, those aren't mine. I oh, they're think they're just coming up as a search. Yeah, well, that's some of your other ones are sort of pretty good. Your next one, yeah, Addictive yeah, Reality, yeah, is 458. Yeah. yeah. So uh, at yeah. some point over the last few years, uh, Do You Know has taken off, obviously, somehow. And <laughs> Somewhere. Pete, somebody knows. <laughs> In China, probably. 
<laughs> Ironically, though, like it took me four years to make that album for a number of reasons. It wasn't just like procrastination or anything. Like I actually had to wait on a lot of things because I was doing everything myself, like the getting the artwork done, learning kind of how to like upload everything to the internet in terms of Spotify and iTunes and all that. And so some of these songs, like I think, were up to, uploaded in like say twenty twelve, twenty thirteen. Yeah. The album would come out to twenty fifteen. I wonder was that it one. Ever, that one's only uploaded. Um, let me see. Sorry, I've gone off the screen there. Two years. That ago. That one was only two screen. years ago. Yeah. It's just. I'm just. It's just shocked. Two year, it says. <laughs> yeah. two, it says two years ago here. Um, I, I, I wonder was that on a was that on a um, compilation? Uh, no, unless somebody took it from me. Like I uploaded that because I remember when I did the gigs, that was the one people like like I was saying earlier doing the serious songs. That's one's kind of the lyrics are serious, but it has a kind of laid back vibe. And I felt when I performed that, people got into this show, and I was like, okay, people like that track, so that's why I uploaded that two years ago. Well, clearly they do like it because it's yeah. <laughs> it's very well played. Yeah, um, it's good to hear. Shit, I didn't know that. Um, okay, so I'd say we're coming towards the end of the interview now um you your new album though which is coming out shortly is called dopamine is that correct no uh dopamine is the single Sorry. so i want to put out the single first and then kind of build some promotion around it and then put the album out because i made the mistake the last time of just dropping the album randomly and uh like it had limited kind of reach in hindsight so i want to try and give this a better chance and this, um, the lot of pr- the beats have been produced by the guy who produced Weighing Scales on the last album, which I think was probably your most polished and impressive sounding song, in my opinion, anyway. So he's from Berlin. I linked um, with him through SoundCloud, and he's largely produced most of this album. And um, it's pretty cool. I'm planning to go over to Berlin and meet him and maybe do a show over there, maybe do a launch over there as well. Uh, so he... New Beats, yeah, Pascal Cousy. So he mixes and masters as well as making his own beats. So he's kind of the real deal, in my opinion. Like, because you can make a cool beat, but if you can mix and master, you can really make give it that professional edge. He makes R&B, he makes dance. He's he's a great producer. Yeah, probably one of the best producers I've come across in terms of he's got a bit of everything in his locker. Very good. Okay. Um, where did the name Deep Reasoning come from? Um, a lot of people have asked me that, actually. I was sitting at home one day, and I knew the word deep would be in for some reason. And it wasn't like, oh, I'm particularly profound or anything. I just thought it was kind of cool. And I was a fan of Mob Deep. I used to listen to them a lot. I remember that just the word deep, it just kind of had a kind of impact. And then, yeah, the word reasoning just bopped into my head and I joined them together and I was like oh okay okay so yeah it's kind of cool because it's quite original and if you put it in google it comes up first you don't have to pay to get any search results at the top or anything like that yeah so, yeah yeah so Very I was good. lucky in that regard mm. that's always good it's a good name um any final thoughts to me or any final questions well, I suppose final thoughts is I've really enjoyed the interview with uh, Deep Reasoning. It's been an absolute pleasure to hear your insights, especially into hip-hop music and also the tangents. Uh, <laughs> enjoyed them as well. And uh, really looking forward to hearing your new album. And again, I'll just say uh, at the gig last week, just to see you coming out of yourself in between the songs and introducing them, was I think you're really developing that part of yourself as well. And you're helping yourself, I'd say, 
um, overcome your introverted nature, if I may say so. Yeah. Which I can relate to. So it's good good to see. So thanks very so much. Thanks for, very much. thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah, you're very welcome. I've really enjoyed the podcast as well. I've really enjoyed the interview. Um, a lot of stuff was revealed there that I think will make for an interesting listen. Um, so yeah, that was excellent. And best of luck for the future. Best of luck with the new album. And I'm sure we'll stare. I'm sure we'll share stages and microphones again at some time soon. To lead us out, we're going to play a snippet of Weighing Scales, which was a single from Student of the Game, which is available on Spotify. Uh, and selected tracks are also available on SoundCloud. So thanks again to Deep Reasoning, and we'll see you next time. Clouds loom over the city in anticipation of what's waiting. High levels of precipitation affecting our levels of participation. That's the situation, what we're really facing. Engaged in a world of warfare, that's the real reason for climate change. Why we see tidal waves, white bed cities, people in the depths of despair. See them cry for days, trying to find a way. A solution feels so far away. Is that the reason why we part our ways? Why we seek isolation, need that time alone, chasing the ground like a dog chasing a bone pacing around in pure frustration locked down in a state of contemplation could be a superstar follow the right pavements justify your means means pure vindication It's good to trust people, be part of a movement But don't ever let the thoughts seduce you To the point they prove untrue Can be friends with everybody that moves The end of the day won't have the option to choose Watch they shift shape, literally change form Watching for the shakedown and how it all takes form There comes a point when things overlap Some things receive your strength But it's a weakness, in fact it's right a weakness But it takes time to see this And when it so happens it'll return That love, a change occurs in me Like it's automatic, I learned long ago when I cut off one-way traffic And at times that seems drastic But really it's just respect of self Remain static A demonstration of keeping your words In a world that's been stripped naked from the pavement Trying to save them from the earth And still the truth curse I can feel them dragging me down I can feel them hanging me out to dry I can feel them